What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The following podcast contains explicit language. What is happening? What are you doing? I'm changing under this blanket. I've seen everything. Do you remember we were just having sex? Yeah, but you were, like, in the throes of passion then. Listen, I had a really nice time. Thank you very much. I'm just going to, like, call an Uber, go home, and I hope... Just... (laughs) Your driver will be ready as soon as he puts on his pants. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host, and we're getting into a lot of particularly hot topics today. In a bit, I discuss comedian Kumail Ninjani's indie rom-com, The Big Sick, with Ahmed Ali Akbar, the host of the BuzzFeed podcast, See Something, Say Something. But first, in the last couple of weeks, you may have heard about the hubbub surrounding the exits of stars Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park from the long-running CBS police procedural, Hawaii Five-0. The highly publicized casting shakeup has sparked an industry-wide conversation around a perceived racial wage gap, among many other things. And joining me to break down what we know about what went down behind the scenes on the show, as well as the media coverage around it, is our friend of the show, Vulture writer Alex Jung. Welcome back, Alex. Thanks for having me. Hi, Aisha. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. <laughs> You're good, because you were just in India. I was, and I feel uh, slightly tanned, although it was very hot while I was there. You, you do look slightly tanned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also <laughs> ready to, you know, talk about uh, wage inequity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because I'm back in America, and that's what it means. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yes, we were talking about wage uh, inequity, and it's very curious to me that we're talking about this. We've talked a lot about this within the industry when it comes to women being paid less. Yes. The gender wage gap that's been like the hot buzzword for the last you know year and a half, two years. Um, everyone from Emma Stone to uh, what's her name from Boyhood? Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette, yes, yep. have like been writing op-eds and think pieces and and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but now we have the show that I didn't even realize was still on TV. I know, right? <laughs> uh, Hawaii Five-0, which uh, is... Uh, With steady ratings, I might add. Well, it's CBS. Yeah. And so CBS is known for being, I guess, like the world of the white working class, all the people that us bubble elites f- forget exist. Right. <laughs> but they watch CBS. They do. Um, and so... I had I, I'd forgotten it existed, and I guess we should first just break down very briefly, like what the show is, in case our listeners are not some of the folks tuning into CBS every whatever night it comes on. Um, essentially, and and I think it's important to to talk about this because Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park they haven't said much ab- about the particulars of what's going on. In fact, as of now, Grace Park hasn't said anything. Right. Um, and Daniel Day Kim has sort of alluded to things but hasn't been, like, spilling any tea. Right. Uh, but I think when we think about what, how much people, how much actors get paid based on where, like, what they are doing in a show, it's important to know exactly kind of what they were doing on this show. So... I watched the first episode. The very the pilot. The very first episode. I also did. And I watched the very like the latest episode. Right, like, the last the season finale. Yes. Same. <laughs> I was like, this is It's like we planned it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we I we didn't technically plan that. I was just like, this just seems like the right way to do it. Right. And so um essentially the first episode is like all about the two major stars who are getting who have been getting paid more than Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park. And those stars are Alex O'Laughlin, who plays a lieutenant who I guess grew up in Hawaii, but then like went away to like be in the army or in the military and then came back. Um, and he's like commissioned to put together this like 
squad. Yes. <laughs> Basically like a, a vigilante squad, which is what it feels like. Yeah, right? exactly. So yeah. it's like we're getting getting this ragtag team together. Yeah. Um, and then you have Scott Can, uh, who is like he's sort of his not his nemesis, but his like they butt heads a lot and Right, his foil. His foil. Yeah. Foil is the right. Yeah, word. his buddy comedy foil. Right. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's all about their like buddy buddy cop thing. And yes. they they are like heading up the H the Honolulu PD. Um or I don't know if they're heading up the Honolulu PD, but they're, he- they're like it's more military. Right. It it feels like basically like almost like a special task force that has yeah. uh like operates a little above the Hawaii PD. Right. As far as I can tell. Exactly. Uh which is what America loves, right? It's like yes. a kind of tinge of vigilanteism of with the state. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you know, his character, um Alex O'Loughlin's character, Steve, Lieutenant Steve, McGarrett, he comes back in the pilot um, because his father, who was also like a military police whatever person, has been killed. And he's like returning to like, <clears throat> not quite avenge, but like to sort of live I don't up. know. I think to avenge. I guess. Yeah. I, I didn't watch anything after the first episode. So. <laughs> right. Right. But the governor uh, is basically like, I will give you special dispensation to do whatever you want and also pursue your father's killer if you head up this like crime task force. Exactly. And so then Daniel Day Kim's character, uh, Chin Ho Kelly and Grace Park's character, Kono, they, they're cousins and he rounds them up as like sort of the last, in, at least in the pilot, they're the last two to be kind of added to this little squad of people. Right. And so the pilot is very clearly all all about Alex O'Loughlin's character. It's right. like he, he, you, you know he has family, you know all of these things um, and as far as I know, that's kind of the way it's it, the the way that the story has played out over the seasons. Even though it is an ensemble show, it's still very much like the the ones getting the juicy storylines right. are the lead, the two white male actors. Yes, and Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park are there, and they get the sort of B plot. Occasionally, they'll get like something juicier, but right. it's mostly about them. Right. So <laughs> that that plays into a bit of like. How are they considered supporting roles? Right. All of that stuff. Right. I think I think unequivocally they are supporting roles. You know, and I think yeah. we should sort of almost get that out of the way. Yes. I think it's disingenuous to try to pretend like it was a true ensemble show because it wasn't. You know, it's right. not like Friends. It's not like a lot of other shows that we've watched that maybe feel more ensemble or become that way. This very clearly has always centered the two white guys at the center of the narrative. And I think that is... I think we can still have a discussion about all of this yes. with that in mind, you know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, the details of what happened, again, as we mentioned, have n- there hasn't been much said on the part of the actors themselves who left um, right. the show. It does seem, though, that, like, Grace Parks, the way the media, media like, initially kind of jumped on it was, like, they both left because... They weren't getting paid enough, and they're both Asian. So let's like automatically assume <laughs> that it's this is this is like racism at play, right? And the way it sounds, based on you know Variety and Hollywood Reporter and a few other um, of the industry papers have reported, is that insiders, like of course they're unnamed sources, right? Although the the um, the creator of the show, Peter Lenkov, um, he did state that. Grace Park had was already talking about like reducing her role on the show because she wanted to spend more time with her family. Right. Um, so maybe it sounds like the like on at least on her end it had maybe less to do with not getting paid enough, or maybe it was getting not getting paid enough, but like it had more to do with her like wanting to step back anyway from the show. Right. Whereas with Daniel Day Kim, it's a little it's a little more iffy. I mean, he was you know he seemed in his Facebook message that he he left. That um, for fans after the news broke that he really wanted to like he wanted to stay and he was like prepared to stay. But it's all very muddy. Yeah, no, I I think you're right in terms of uh, the media was very quick to package these two together and they're leaving together. Uh, And I don't know if it was necessarily the case. Uh, From what I understand, their circumstances might have been a little bit different and they weren't negotiating as a pair. Right. 
which is generally a more successful negotiation tactic, which we've seen with the Friends cast, with the Will and Grace cast, when they were asking for really, really big raises. They went in as a group. I think Big Bang Theory, they did that too. Right, right, right. right. It's sort of like it helps when you have the lead, the, the person who's number one on the call sheet saying, yeah, this person deserves this much. Well, that's that's a whole right. another topic. Totally. Which I think we should just dive into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, one of the things that I think it's important to note is allyship is a is is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and several people, like a lot of you know, a lot of famous people, have weighed in on this since it happened, um, including Constance Wu uh, from Fresh Out the Boat and lots of other people. And one of the notes that a lot of them made was like, so what are Alex O'Loughlin and Scott Kahn saying mm-hmm, about this? Mm-hmm. So far, they've been Nothing. silent. Nothing. Right. Um, and so, you know, when you have, and even it was just last week, I think, that Emma Stone talked about having her male co-stars right. say that they would take less right. so that she could get paid the same amount as right. them. Right, right. Um, where are you, Scott Kahn <laughs> and Alex O'Loughlin? <laughs> like, I, I think that like that could have been that would have been nice to see. And right. we don't again, to clarify, we don't know the circumstances like this is all speculation. But, you know, they have been silent. And right. even like a tweet could have, you know, right. gone a, a long way. Right. I mean, I think you like even recently with the uh, equal pay fight for Emmy Rossum on Shameless. Right. You know, that's an interesting analog in a lot of ways, because when the show started, no one knew who Emmy Rossum was, but everyone knew who William H. Macy was. Right. And that's why that show got greenlit. That's why he got paid a lot more. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, she became an or and is an equal character in the show and fought for uh, getting equal pay and also has directed episodes as a producer, all of these things. But she also had William H. Macy's support on this to get equal pay you know i think when you see these success stories it's usually that's how it happens is when you have you know kind of like the white guy uh vetting for you or or, uh, not vetting uh, the white guy supporting you and uh saying yeah this this person deserves to get as much as me um and it's it's curious to wonder whether or not that conversation ever happened. It's clear that negotiation didn't happen as a group, though, at the very least, we can say that. Right. I mean, I think to sort of go back to the point about why we can still have this conversation, even though they are very definitely supporting roles, there was, I think, a really good sort of counter point made in the New York Times by Mike Hale um, about, and, and it's, this is an article titled, The Time to Fix Hawaii Five-0 Was at the Start. Right. Um, and Mike Hale, I guess it's worth pointing out, like he he mentions at the end of the piece that his mother is Korean. So like, he's not just some, you know, white dude or whatever, just at the time sitting on, right. you know, spoutings. But he he's probably one of the few critics, and he acknowledges this, who's watched every single episode of Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> Five-0. So I also feel like he's kind of qualified to talk. He's even more qualified than we are to discuss sure. um, But he was like, you know, I mean, a lot of good points about how, like, people were probably, like, it's CBS. CBS knows what it's doing. Um, and they know their audience. That's why, you know, Big Bang Theory is still on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin James is still getting TV shows right. where his wife is significantly younger and hotter than he is. And the and the upcoming fall season is all white male leads except for one show with Shamar Moore. Right. Is that the SWAT, SWAT. show? Yeah. And of, and of course it's a military. It's like right. it's either family comedy or military <laughs> drama police, police procedural. Right. Uh, they know their audience. They do. Um, and I enjoy the occasional police procedural. I've watched lots of SVU. Uh, but still. Oh, we've is... all been there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's um, like they are – they know – CBS knows that they are – like most of the viewers are tuning in to watch this bromance or whatever between this this like sort of dance that he has between Alex O'Loughlin and Scott Cann's characters. Mm-hmm. But then the point that he makes is, well – well, why is that? It's right. because the writers did not create these roles for them. Right. Um, which is funny because um, as Rick Nahara and Jeff Yang, they did a interview recently on NPR's All Things Considered discussing this very topic. And they pointed out that when the show first started uh, back in 2010, this has been a long running show, mm-hmm. the main draw was Daniel Day Kim and Grace, Grace Park. They were right. bigger stars right. than either of those two right male leads so like you have to like people initially were tuning in for them right and but then 
obviously the role did not, you know, it, the roles did not get better right. as the time went on. And so that seems to be the bigger problem right. is the money needs the, the money you get paid for what you do. That's right. the way it is. And if you're not getting that plum role, we right. have to blame the writers. Right. So that's I, I think you're right that the problem started at conception and it started started in the creative process and it started with the assumption that Daniel Day Kim could not have been one of those two leads or that Grace Park couldn't have played one of those two leads right that's where the assumption initially starts that they could only really be supporting characters in this drama um i think the interesting thing of course i mean you know i always think about that line both from scandal and from my house uh <laughs> Twice as good for half as much. Yes. <laughs> because like to me, that that whole scenario is just a perfect example of Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park being far more famous, coming off of bigger shows, uh, Daniel Day Kim with Lost and then Grace Park with Battlestar Galactica, where she was beloved as Boomer. Mm-hmm. And then you have Alex O'Loughlin, who had failed CBS shows. Right. Like multiple failed CBS shows. He also is like the most generic looking, good looking white man I've ever seen. But the head of (laughs) entertainment at CBS, Nina Tassler at the time, was obsessed with him. And she was obsessed in particular with getting him a show and getting him a hit show. It's like the Ryan Reynolds thing where it's like you keep failing. Right. Why do you keep trying to make Fetch happen? (laughs) You know? And then and then apparently it happened. It stuck. Finally, right? Like she like found the right combination and it worked with Hawaii Five O. And maybe it worked because you had the star power of like people like Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park too. Mm-hmm. Right? But like who's gonna get the credit for it? The white man. Exactly. Yeah. And so like that that's a really interesting scenario to me where you have a network really like after Moonlight, which was an Alex O'Laughlin uh, show that tanked where he played like a sexy vampire. And then before that, he was in Three Rivers, which also uh, got cut after a season. Never heard of these shows. Exactly. And like Tassler said, we love him and want him to stay around. Right. And they even signed him to development deals to make sure that they would keep him in the network. Who is doing this for like actors of color? Apparently, even if you're a star as an actor of color, then you still get the supporting role, even though this uh, white guy who no one knows about and has failed shows gets the lead role. And the entire infrastructure of the network and production company is behind you. Like that is that is to me wild. Right. Like that is a wild disparity. And so to sort of then, I guess, like. Now it feels like CBS in some ways is trying to paint like Daniel Day Kim and uh, Grace Park is greedy, right? Yeah, the Lenklov, the the aforementioned creator of the show, he tweeted that the raises that they were offered were extremely generous. Right, and significant. And significant. Right. But it doesn't factor in the fact that uh, there there are conflicting reports. I think some have said that the raises would have made them about just about 2% lower, right. but then that doesn't factor in the fact that O'Loughlin and um, Can were getting residual, like right. residuals from back end, back end stuff. Yep. So, right, yeah, right. <laughs> and also, I do want to. Uh, I do think that it is important at this point to also say that it seems like, from what I've read, that Grace was also making less. Uh, would have would have been making less than Danielle Day Kim. Also, mm. so you know, if we're cutting this across gender and race, like I think it. Uh, that's something that is still part of the discussion. But, um, you know, again, unfortunately, we don't know hard numbers. Right. We only know sort of like industry speculation. And it sounds like Daniel DeKim was maybe just making a little shy of what uh, Scott Kahn and Alex O'Loughlin were making. Right. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that strikes me is that watching the, the, the final episode, the, the latest, the last episode that has aired before the new season starts, they had added even like two more characters to this group um one of them is black another latino and so there's a huge difference i think and granted again i've only watched the the first and the last episode and i haven't watched all of them but like it seems like it had moved from being mostly about these two white guys to like more evenly a little bit more evenly spreading the wealth Mm -hmm. in term because there were more main characters now and so there were more storylines and more things happening right um which to me says, like, well, you know, why are they still getting paid significantly so much more? Like, I, they can't be – I like, how many people can actually name either of those actors, like, outside of watching the show? Right. I, I could not. Right. It, like, I don't think they're identifiable at all. And out of, you know, right. 
Scott Kahn, you like maybe kind of knew because his he, he was, had a famous dad and, and he, he was, was in Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven. Eleven. Yes, right. <laughs> but but he was like number ten out of the eleven right. in that exactly. movie. <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> like, come on now. Right, like, and Alex O'Loughlin, <laughs> you literally did not know. Uh, except for this show. I just Googled him and I still don't know who he is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I have he, no idea who he, this man he's is. Also, he reminds me of like also Castle, like the characters in Castle, where it's like, I know so many people watch this show, but like if I don't see them within the context of Castle, I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> like I could not tell you who they are. Well, we'll see how Hawaii Five O. I mean, I'm not going to watch it, but we'll, I'll, I'll be looking out for the, you know, the casting news and all that right. stuff. To see I how do. It shakes out. I do think my general sense of the situation is that I feel like Daniel Day Kim was ready to go. Like to be yeah. like, I think he. I think he sort of saw the writing on the wall in a lot of ways. You know, he came off a show that was like critically beloved, and then now he's sort of doing a show that felt more like uh, it gave him an opportunity to stay in uh, Hawaii, which is what he wanted. Right. Um, His family is exactly, there. Yeah. and so like I think he saw it as a steady gig when there weren't a lot to begin with, right? Because this is 2010 that we're talking, or like the 2009-2010 TV season, yeah. right? Which is very <laughs> different. Not hugely different, but was very different in terms of the conversation around race uh, that we're having right now. And I think he's realized that in a lot of ways he need he can get his bread in other ways, which is like through production companies and other things. And that there are probably other roles out there for him. So I don't think he felt the need that he really needed this gig, you know. And I think that that gave him the license to just be like, let's see what happens. Right. Like that's the feeling that I get with that is yeah. that he just was like, fuck it. Let's see what happens if I shoot for the moon here. Hopefully. I hope he lands something much better. Yeah, me too. Well, let's move on to a segment we haven't done in a very long time. Our plus or delta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, do you want to start? Uh, let's start with a plus. Sure. My plus, I think, was just Lucy Liu directing the first episode of Luke Cage for season two. Yeah, I just saw that news. And I was like, that's great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, I think it, it ties in a little bit with what we're talking about with regard to, I think, Asian American actors, especially established stars, have realized that they need to, in some ways, like, go into the roles that are behind the scenes a little bit more mm-hmm. right so like daniel de kim with producing masioka also is producing which is a little complicated which we'll talk about maybe another time um and lucy Liu directing like she's been trying to direct more and more and more in the past few years and so like i think you see that push as like an important part of what this conversation needs to look like and how you actually maybe start to get equity on the screen is by it happening behind the screen first. Yeah. That's my plus. All right. Well, my plus is actually kind of similar to yours. Cool. Um, And it's also like a, that's really nice. Um, Amy DuVernay directing a limited series about the Central Park Five. Right. I really want to know when this lady sleeps. <laughs> she has her hand. I don't think she does. She, I, I don't think she does. And I'm, I'm concerned for her well-being. Right. <laughs> I want her to be okay. But I'm also really happy that she's just like grinding and will not stop and is, has her hand in every possible pot possible. Totally. Um, so, yeah. I'm and looking, like she's working in so many different mediums. Right. TV, documentary and and now we have fantasy with wrinkle and time exactly like it's i'm just very happy for her but i'm excited to see what she does with this story there's already been a critically acclaimed documentary about it yes um but seeing her do a dramatic version of it that is my plus i'm super excited about that too so i guess we'll end on a downer (laughs) (laughs) mine is actually not going to be that much of a downer okay mine's mine's yeah it's not it's Disappointing. Yeah, I took Delta this time to really mean like just a shift, mm-hmm. like just a shift in how we think about things. Okay. So the, the, the thing I picked was the L Word reboot. Wait, the, I didn't even hear about so, this. Oh, so uh, uh, Showtime is rebooting L Word. Okay. The, you know, beloved and one of the only uh, lesbian dramas to have ever been scripted on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're rebooting it. And I think the original show has... Uh, had its complications uh, when it was made at first. And so obviously I think those things could be updated and rectified now. 
But I guess I just, in general, am really over reboots. Ah, me too. Yeah, I just want us to be just telling a new story. Like, and and I hate it when when something is successful, they're like immediately like, let's like franchise this. Yeah. Like uh, with Baby Driver, for instance, like Edgar Wright's movie, and they're like, a second movie's on the maybe in the works, and now like a TV like a a Showtime is buying TV rights for it, and you're just like. Just let Leave it, it alone. be. It was a fine movie. Yeah. That's all we need. No, I've been saying this for a while, but like anytime a show is canceled now and people get upset about it, I'm like, just wait. Just wait like six months. Wait a year. Wait two years. It'll be rebooted again. Right. Like don't, right. don't even get upset. Right. Like with Sense8, which I know Marilyn <laughs> was very sad. Like it, that, even that right. has come back for like, right. it, granted it's just a, like a finale to wrap things up. Right. But I, I would not be surprised if within five years they do an entirely new reboot <laughs> right. of Sensei. Right. It's, it's going to happen because everything in their mother is getting rebooted. Right, now. right, right. And I guess like if if we're talking about like one of the only like lesbian shows to have ever been made, why not make a new one? <sighs> yeah. So then there can not just be one. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be. And a, then the remake of it. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a looking at reboot <sighs> <laughs> two to three years as well. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good, uh, yeah, just a, just a slight, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I'm not, you know, I don't think it should not happen. I just would like more. Yeah. You know? Well, my Delta is just a, it's very, it's disappointing. And granted, I have not seen this movie. I don't plan to, and it's probably not going to do well at the box office, but there's this movie called Blind. Oh. And it stars Alec Baldwin as a blind man. That was my number two on the list. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> it was. Well, here we are. We're bringing it up. Um, watch the trailer and then try not to have your eyes roll in the back of your head. Like it has, like he's playing a blind man in ways that I imagine the blind community would probably not appreciate. And apparently some of them do not. Um, the Ruderman Family Foundation who they're an organization who advocates for disability rights. They've called called it out. And I'd never heard of this term before, but they accused it of crip face, uh, which is oh. the the comparison is a little uh, whenever anyone compares something to blackface. I'm mm-hmm. always like, this doesn't always work mm-hmm. um, at the same time. Why? The, the movie alone just looks really bad and hackneyed in every possible way. Like he falls in love with Demi Moore um, and there's lots of like touching of the face because that always has to happen when someone is blind because I guess, you know, the miracle worker started that. Right. Uh, but like it just looks bad and it's disappointing. And that's all I can say. And you probably didn't know this movie existed and... I'm sorry I introduced it to you, but now you can go back to forgetting. <laughs> That's always the trouble uh, with like bringing up things that annoy you sometimes, you know, because then you're like, am I, are we just giving this more attention than it needs to sometimes? Yes, yes. Anyway, hopefully there will be better representation than this movie, Blind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex, for coming in to chat with me about racial wage gap and equity and, and all of that course. fun stuff. Always a blast. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Thank you. And now, See Something, Say Something's Ahmed Ali Akbar and I discuss The Big Sick, which is one of my favorite movies of 2017 so far. It's written by husband-wife duo Kamound and Johnny of HBO's Silicon Valley and Emily V. Gordon, and it's a dramatized version of their bizarrely charming real-life meet-cute and romance, which included Gordon being put into a medically-induced coma for 12 days for a then-undiagnosed illness. Nanjani stars as the fictional Kamal, while Zoe Kazan steps into the role of Emily, as well as a talented cast of veteran actors, including Holly Hunter, Ray Romano, and Anupam Kerd. And the film has been a critical hit. As of this recording, a few days before it opens wide on July 14th, it currently has a 97% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Check it out. It's a pleasure to have Ahmed Ali Akbar from the awesome BuzzFeed podcast, See Something, Say Something. Hi, Aisha. <laughs> I just said I was going to call you. I, I said not say it the, the Pakistani way, and then I already went and reverted to it. You know, Aisha, it's, sorry. It's really okay. And you might you might slip, and I don't care, and I might say your name two or three different ways, but I will always pronounce the right syllables and that's all that right. stuff. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's, everyone has to get the syllables right. That's the most important thing. For sure. 
So we are going to talk about today The Big Sick. It's a pretty big indie summer movie Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. It's a romantic comedy that sort of bucks the normal trend of romantic comedies. And so it feels very refreshing in that way. Um, And there's also the fact... uh, a little fact the, uh, that the star of it is Kumail Nanjani. Um, he's a well-known comedian, probably best known for his stand-up and for Silicon Valley. Right. And that movie kind of tells the true, true-ish story of his relationship with Emily Gordon. And you saw it last week for the first time. At the yep. time of this recording, you saw it last week. What were your thoughts? I gathered a bunch of my very critical brown Desi friends, <laughs> mostly women, I think, and... Uh, who I knew would like come out with it with uh, a very would really think through it with me, you know, mm-hmm. because there had already been so in my circles, it's been controversial. Um, and I didn't know what to think of myself. Um, Can you say more about that? Well, I think there's this there's this thing that this like genre of criticism around um, South Asian men creating comedy and romantic works um, that they are over-focusing on white partners. Um, mm-hmm. So there was already like two or three articles out. There was one on, on BuzzFeed by Imran Siddiqui, which was like, why are brown men infatuated with white women on screen? And then there was like a response uh, article on QZ. Anyhow, point being, there was this idea that like, why do brown men always have write stories about themselves breaking free of the norms of their parents um, and dating or marrying white women. And that that they had that conversa- conversation and that controversy happened around Master of None. That's right. Season one, a little less so season two, because they kind of address it in a different way. Right. But definitely during season one, that was a huge part of, of that show. So that was in the back of my mind. But I also read a lot about the movie because um, I've like... I'm not a Silicon Valley watcher, but I am a. I like pay attention to Kumail because, um, you know, he's Pakistani like myself, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> my dad claims to have gone to college with his dad. So I'm also like, I like think of him as like more famous me. Like that could be me. Like Anupam <laughs> Kher could be playing my dad. Wait, you say he claims he went to college? Right? So like you're not sure? No, I I think he's <laughs> my dad is not a liar, but I like. But I'm like he, his you, memory might be. Maybe fuzzy. No, I I know he's telling the truth, but like until I confirm it with the other side, you know, I've never like called up Kumail's dad or Kumail and asked him or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I just I just feel like he could be, you know, he could be me in another lifetime. Um, (laughs) Anyhow, so I I, I read a lot about it, about how, um, you know, about how it was based off of the story and um, of his of him and his now wife. And uh, I was like. I, I I watched it um, as a tried to watch it as a story and less as I tried to like think about the criticism but keep it think about the ways in which it addressed the criticism and I um, see the see the I see the critique but I also see the ways in which they sort of um, resisted it a little bit you know there was like. I, I was thought it was fu- really funny how all the ar- many of the articles writing about it focused on the the like this rotating cast of um, arranged marriage prospects that can't come by, but I didn't see many articles talking about the the like the one that sort of ends the the cycle, the woman that he drives to her house. Her name is Khadija, and she's played by Fela Lavelle from Crazy Ex Girlfriend, as you've just informed me. Yes, um, <laughs> and she, you see it from the other side. Um, first of all, the setup that they've shown of arranged marriages, prospects coming by to the house. Um, I just also want to say that that was like maybe a little unrealistic because he's an Uber driver. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, well, you mean in terms like that? Why would any like why would anyone want to set their kid up with an Uber driver? Not just that, but also it's like first of all, Pakistani society is classist, which is like as many societies are. Yes, but also. Um, it's it's like usually the men go to the women's house. So it was a little it was it was an interesting sort of framing that they did where like all these women were so interested in him without really asking why. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> are they all desperate? Like I don't understand. Like he's not desperate, but they are. So that was sort of I could see that that framing was also increased the sort of like the tension of like the women of color being used as props to for you know further his story or to like laugh at. It's interesting that you say that because like I got the sense from those moments that like even if they were saying like oh I watched your favorite show like or you know for you I always assumed that even though we don't see their parents that like they're 
they're also like not necessarily wanted this. Like mm-hmm. they're just playing the role that they're supposed to. Right. But Kumail is the one who's like not playing along in that in that sense. Um but yeah, I guess I hadn't even thought about it in that way. The the fact that the the women do seem sort of way too over eager for this. Yeah. They don't like that's why that last one was was a breath of fresh air, though, mm-hmm. because she was just treating it like how realistically somebody in that situation probably would. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can you can resent it, um, or you can be a full a full partner in the process, or you can just sort of treat it like I'm just going to meet somebody mm-hmm. and like see how it goes. And that's how she was treating it. And I just thought like there was some there was something there. And I wish I would like love to have seen a movie all about Khadija, you know? Yeah. And that's I think where my my like I respect and understand and value the criticism a lot, but I also see it as like it's a real story, and um you know he he tried to cover some other angles of it as well um but like it's not it's not any person of color's responsibility to like represent every story, you know right I think he accurately and responsibly for the most part uh represented his own story hmm. I thought there was a lot of funny digs at this the thing, like when he admits his to his he's like he's to, like to his brother he's like oh uh, I have something to tell you and he's like what is it and he's like oh I'm you know dating a white girl and he's like oh it's so stereotypical I thought you like <laughs> yes. you know had done murder or something like that yeah that was pretty hilarious to me because I think it is like that's like it's it's you know it's it, it, obviously like. It's very common in, in, in Pakistani and Muslim communities for people to marry in, and have relationships outside of their own community. I do find it's interesting, you said, and, and I mean, you can flesh this out a bit, but like, had this not been based on a true story and it was still like the exact same, like mm-hmm. what we see the final product, do you think those those criticisms about the, the, love, the love story between a white woman and a person of color or a white person and a person of color, do you think those would be better arguments in terms of like in that in that framework so uh well i think one of the things that you said that was funny in the beginning which because you're coming at it from a different angle for me as like a as a person who thinks about um you know pop culture often as you said it it was a departure from the um rom-com genre Mm. presumably because of the sickness part yeah because like really it's a rom-com it's it starts off about them together but then they break up cute and everything right but then it's really about like him kind of like wooing her parents in a way (laughs) so like that's that to me like that's like a huge like it's really different and i think that as much as obviously this is a show about representation and that's what we focus on but i also think it's important whenever someone who is usually under a misrepresented in film or tv does something different that does has nothing to do with their you know background i think it's also important to like note that too right so I think it would have I would have I personally I probably would have struggled with it a bit more um because I I just feel like I want more like even in the writing around it um a lot of times whiteness is still centered like there's like you know why couldn't they have dated like another like Indian person or Pakistani person I'm like why couldn't they have just dated another person of color there's like right. in my family yeah. my family we have m- many mixed Pakistani kids and there many of like they're from all sorts of different backgrounds and um it's like whiteness is not centered in that way for our partners we're not like oh you're going to date a white person or you're going to date a pakistani person it's like it's a combination of many factors and including your identity as a person of color is something that like you know i remember my mom when i like i when i had like my first partner was white she was like are you sure you don't want to just date somebody who might understand your experience more? <laughs> and I didn't understand what she meant. I can't believe she said this when she, as like an immigrant who's like, you know, with like a young uh, teenage Pakistani child. But she she understood this idea that like maybe a white person wouldn't understand completely what you go through. Mm-hmm. And there was some realistic stuff in the movie that I really loved that like they left sort of unturned. Like the dad is maybe a little racist. And <laughs> Wait, I forget. What did he say that made you? I, goes, I forget. He goes, so 9-11, huh? Oh, right. And, oh, her dad. Yeah, her yes, dad. Yes, 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 her dad. Her dad is <laughs> yeah. racist. Like, that was a great joke. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> you've never talked to people about 9-11? No, what's your, what's your stance? What's my stance on 9-11? Oh, um, anti. It was a tragedy. I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? Yeah. And then the dad comes and defends uh, him from hecklers later. But there's still that 
from racist hecklers who call him ISIS or whatever. Yeah, the, well, it was more the mom. The more the mom, right? But the dad was there too, and you know. Yeah. But there's this tension and this thing that happens when you might have white partners that you. Not that to say that people of color aren't racist against uh, other people of color, but you know, you you might have to deal with like people who don't understand your background. And I thought that was realistic and in there and mm-hmm. unresolved as well. Like yeah. it just sort of happened, and you know, you're like, yeah, like that's the kind of thing that you're going to have to deal with, and those are. Uh, the choices you make when you you know, and um, not every romance is also political. Like it, yeah. like it makes he, what, like. Do you think when watching it, did you feel like he was um, marrying her to break free of his parents? No, or not dating at all. her? Sorry, no, not at all. Um, no, I think for one thing, it's made pretty clear that he like feels anxiety about it. Yeah, from like the beginning, she's the one who's just like, "Oh, it's it's all good." Like yeah. in her her white world, yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. like everything's gonna be fine. Yeah, and he's like, uh, "No." Um, it, it kind of reminded me in a way of like Get Out, <laughs> where it's like he's like, "Have you like have you told your parents that I'm that I'm black?" And she's like, "Yeah, it'll be fine." Like it, it, I feel like that was there's a similar dynamic where he was just yeah. like very anxious about it. Um, I do think it's interesting though. Like he said several times in various interviews he's given. And just in general, his stand-up, he's, he's, he's kind of explicitly tried to stay away from being too political. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want this to be considered a political statement. Um, to me, I think that I understand that desire because I think as a person of color, he should be free to make art mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be explicitly political. Mm-hmm. But again, as a person of color, you're already starting from that point. Like, it's impossible right. not to be. Right. Going back to an earlier point, I just wanted to also give a shout out to a movie that did do pe- inter-people, like, people of color relationships. Are you going to say what I'm going to say? Probably, but... Mississippi yes, Masala? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that is, like, the only example I can really think of, like, of a mainstream-ish yeah. movie that has done that. And and then I, I always jump to, like, well, Romeo Must Die could have also been that with... a. Uh, Aaliyah and um, Jet Li. Yeah, yeah. But of course, like, I think I was yeah. reading somewhere where they like tested the movie and apparently they had like a, a kiss or something and people were like, no, we don't want to like, why are they doing that? It mm-hmm. should be a platonic relationship. So yes, Mississippi Masala <laughs> with Denzel Washington and I forget her name. Oh, I also forget her An name. An actress who like, I feel like she should have been in way more things and then she just wasn't. So but... Very fierce and badass throughout that movie. Oh, Sarita Chowdhury? Chowdhury. Yes. yes, Sarita Chowdhury. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is the name of the Denzel Washington's love interest in Mississippi Masala. It deals with anti-blackness in the South Asian community. It's not perfect, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. there are parts of it that I, like, sort of cringe looking back at it. But it does deal with the idea that, like, when – which I think is, like, an important one – is when you – in intercultural relationships, you are often joining a community and they won't always understand you and you have to learn their norms. And sometimes their norms might reject you. Hasan Minaj, his, uh, his stand-up – I don't know if you've watched it, but he talks a little bit about, like – in, um, Muslims and Hindus and that sort of intercultural uh, clash. And that's something I would love to see. Like, I'm sure right. a film does exist, but I haven't. There's, you know, there's a whole there's a whole genre of films in Bollywood. <laughs> I, that's what I figured. I was like, Bollywood probably has touched on this many times. Yeah. I have not seen nearly enough Bollywood films, but yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're often quite bad. The ones that are about, <laughs> uh, as a Muslim watching them, I often feel uncomfortable because Muslims in that context are also like minorities. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it can be uncomfortable to watch the way like your Muslimness is portrayed in, uh, in a way that doesn't feel familiar. The thing I will say about Kumail's movie too is that the Muslimness that was portrayed, the American Muslimness, was so familiar. And like, me and my specifically Pakistani friends were laughing so hard at some things that, like, the, the rest of this theater was silent at. Like, I could not hold it together at the 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 one-man show about Pakistan. I was like, uh-huh. this is like me at show and tell growing up. Like, <laughs> But, like, if I made it my career. Like, I all Pakistani kids know, like, you know, we're like... Uh, the the less well known neighbor like everyone knows what India is about but like we're just as cool you know <laughs> I was laughing so hard at that point I really I really did love that part and I also felt that that in a way even though he probably didn't mean it but was also in a way political because like it sort of parallels his own like real life of like at first this one man show he puts together is like just like the bait like right. the bare bones like doesn't really gives you all the facts about like his ethnicity like, yeah. his, <laughs> you know his age like whatever but then he fleshes it out later and it's like more of the story and i thought that was a great little like sidebar right or, like b 
B plot or something. B plot, yes, yeah. yes. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I was just saying things. I don't know if that's actually what it's called. <laughs> no, no, B plot is correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what did you and like? What did your friends say about it afterward? Like, <laughs> I mean, just a yeah. general like, were you all like kind of on the yay side or the nay side, or were there like was there a debate? It was a mix. Um, one of my friends um, had to leave in the middle, and. I got up and I was like, where did she go? And I texted her. I was like, what happened? She was like, oh, I had someplace to go. But also, uh, <laughs> she was just very critical of the movie. She was basically like, she was basically like, I don't understand how as a white woman dating like a Pakistani person, you wouldn't understand that there's like cultural baggage. She like left during like, like pretty early in the movie, honestly, like mm. just a little bit after like they ha- she has that sort of like, they have the fight in the, in the, in his bedroom when she sees the, right. the pictures. Um, and she, she basically was like, I've just seen this so much. I've had tons of friends who said they're boycotting the film <laughs> because they were like, I'm just sick of seeing specifically like Pakistani women, women of color yeah. that like they're just sick of seeing, you know, Desi men in writing, writing the romances around white women and valorizing whiteness. But I, a couple of my friends who stayed, they were like, you know, that was good. And we had, I had a similar reaction to them that like, you know, he was telling his story and it, it, it's not like. It doesn't have that obligation to represent all those other stories. It now, can't. It can't. Yeah. It obviously can't. And he thought about it clearly. It's clear throughout in the DNA of the movie that he 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 was thinking about all the possible ways in which this could be. It's funny to say he, he he's not making it political because he also thought about the ways in which it could be used in a political way against Muslims or Pakistanis. Right. And I think he addressed them very clearly. So my final question for you is like a bigger picture question in terms of – so we have this movie. We have – Hassan Minaj's uh, stand-up special on Netflix. We also have uh, Master of None, obviously. We have a lot of different pieces of work that are sort of like digging into mm-hmm. I mean, it's this very specific kind, but like a a a kind of Muslim American identity today. And I'm curious as to see like where where do you, how do you feel about what's been portrayed so far and where do you think like what's the next step or like when do you think that obviously like progress is always going to come in drips and drabs and like not everything like you said is going to represent everyone but for you like is there like an aspect of muslim american identity that like you haven't seen yet that Mm. you want to see so i think uh one thing that i'll say is to give all those people props as well as like the I think part of the reason we're fascinated by them it's like it's the first time like it feels like that a Muslim American is taking a story that's not about like terrorism or violence or the exotic other and making it just like a like a realistic story of being an immigrant kid um and uh I think it is curious that they're all about like sort of maybe um Hasan Minaj is less so because it's it's sort of like about. And in the end, like it's the whiteness is centered around racism in a way. You like you right. you learn that even though he valorizes whiteness, he realizes like it would reject him. But but it's interesting how whiteness is still centered in all of them. And I am like my Muslim identity is not centered in whiteness. And I that's my goal as my for my show and for like the work I do and as as a journalist that we. There's so much conversations to be happening within the Muslim community, you know, about anti, anti-blackness, about like, you know, immigrants versus like first generation immigrants versus, you know, children of immigrants, about colorism, about, you know, uh, ca- like, um, like, di- like relationship between different sex. Um, sex, not sex, <laughs> but that's also a thing. I guess gender, pro- gender issues are also yeah. a thing. <laughs> I don't see enough of like Muslims interacting with other Muslims, you know, like if there was like a Muslim um, Bechdel test, like most of these movies have failed them if if you don't count their family, you know, because yeah. they're only talking to their family. Their only experience of Muslimness is their family. Um, and uh, that that is that is true for a lot of a lot of kids that they that maybe their only experience of Muslimness is is their family. But it's not my story. It's not a lot of the people I interact with. You know, we value our Muslim community, our people from different backgrounds um, and learning about different backgrounds. Um, and I'd also like to see more women. I mean, it's been centered around the guys and, you know, like it's it, they're definitely breaking barriers by doing what they're doing. But um, there is a need for more women's stories. And, you know, obviously there's this is not um, 
Muslim, but there's also Mindy Kaling, of course, mm-hmm. um, who who is also a uh, South Asian uh, child of South Asian immigrants, um, and. I just want to see more stuff that doesn't center whiteness and centers women's experiences as well. Um, Because I think also that's where like a lot of like it's definitely besides maybe at the airport, um, it's definitely like simpler to be a Muslim man in Mm -hmm. terms of like what your your expectations from your community are, what your expectations from like non-Muslims are in terms of what you're supposed to look like or act like or do, um, and that's a, that's that's a story that hasn't really been shown in a in a in a, in a compelling way yet. And there's 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 stuff coming out that I haven't seen yet, like um, Brown Girls. Yeah, we love it. We yeah, had them on a few episodes, like a couple months back, and they're great. I haven't seen it yet. I still need to watch it. It hasn't. Also, interestingly, hasn't gotten the New Yorker profiles. It's that they're coming. They they got Are picked they? up by HBO. Perfect. So they're, Perfect. I'm I'm sure they're coming. Perfect. I don't have any intel, but like I assume that they are coming. Cool. Yeah. And and, and that I I think it does kind of in a way pass the test because. There are, actually, there's not like a single white person in the show. Perfect. Over the entire. I'm so like, excited. So it's like, <laughs> and it's, it's it's brown people. It's it's you have Latinos and every like it's yeah. all over the place. So it's great. Yeah. Well, that that's very exciting. And obviously, there are a lot of like indie movies that mm-hmm. that that do this um, quite well. Um, I'm not like the biggest film buff, but I like see them cro- cross my, you know, timeline every once in a while, and I'm like, I should watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, you know, it's. It, I think TV is like a big place where people are are looking to learn about the world nowadays, and uh, you know, we need we need those other stories about um, Muslim women and non-brown Muslims as well, Muslims that don't look like what people expect Muslims to look like. They mm-hmm. always expect them to look like a brown guy with a beard, but they're really not all the time. Um, so that would be nice. Um, and it sounds like brown girls might do that. So we'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Ahmed. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Everyone should definitely check out See Something, Say Something uh, on the BuzzFeed feed. Do they have a feed? (laughs) Well, you you can find us basically on like any place podcasts are, iTunes and all that, or... You know, we're on buzzfeed.com slash see something, say something. But it'll probably be just easier to subscribe to us. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. No problem. And scene. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verilyn Williams. And our social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. Our intro and outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. And guess what? I'm going to my very first Comic-Con. On July 20th and 21st, I'll be appearing on two different panels, Rotten Tomatoes' Your Opinion Sucks and Fandango's Female Voices of Film Twitter, respectively. We'll link to the details on the show page, and if you find yourself there, check it out and say hi. And one other thing. We are a show in which we discuss representation, and a lot of representation has to do with words, language, the way we interpret things through words and language. And you should definitely check out one of Slate's other podcasts, Lexicon Valley, which is all about language from pet peeves, syntax and etymology to neurolinguistics and the death of languages. If you have no idea what I just said, or if this all sounds very enticing to you, you should go listen to Lexicon Valley. It's hosted by John McWhorter and posts every other Monday. Find it wherever you catch your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.